I suppose if we were to take a verse for a text this morning, it would be those words in verse number 10 that Paul says, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord. And we're going to consider this subject of walking worthy of the Lord. With the word of God open before us, let's just buy ourselves together, coming on to God, realizing we need his help this morning. Let's pray. Our God and our gracious Father, Lord, we thank thee for a real sense of thy presence that has already been with us this morning. Lord, we thank thee for the singing of these hymns. Lord, for the reading of thy word. Lord, even for prayer that is offered unto thee. Lord, we pray that you would accept each of these parts of worship now unto thyself. Lord, we pray especially now before the opening and the preaching of thy word. Lord, that you would use me, you would fill me with thy spirit. Lord, that there may be a word for each that would listen, for saint and for sinner. Lord, that your word would even bear fruit in our hearts and that we may not only be hearers of the word, but then doers of the word as well. So just bless us now as we come before thy word. Do us good, we pray, in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. As we come to the book of Colossians this morning, we come to a book that really differs from a lot of the other epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote to the New Testament churches. This book, along with the book of Romans, was a church that the Apostle Paul had never visited in person. It was instead a ministry that was founded by Epaphras, who we read off in verse 7 of chapter 1. Epaphras established the work in Colossae. And we read of how Paul here, when he writes this letter, he is imprisoned. And Epaphras comes on to Paul and he tells him about the work at Colossae, how the believers are getting on well in their walk. But he also tells them of the great danger there is in Colossae, as many false teachers were abounding at this time. And so the teaching of this book really is the need to disregard those false teachers and the way we're teaching of the Jewish leaders at the time. But Paul also, when he wrote to this church, he made it clear that the way to combat these false teachers and all the evil that surrounded them it was needful for them to follow the Lord and to be close to him. We believe that the church at Colossae was mainly made up of first-generation believers, so they had no other family that were saved. Therefore, it might have been easier for them to get caught up in the things and the teachings of this world. Now, as you will know, that salvation brings a change in our lives. It changes the entire way that we live. And so Paul was making it clear that they were to be set apart as believers. And this is a word that can speak to us as a church collectively, but it can also speak to us individually as we examine how are we living for the Lord. Therefore, we're going to look at this idea of walking worthy of the Lord. And we're going to pick out some points from this opening chapter. I would like you to notice, first of all, this morning that we see Paul's commendation of the people. Paul's commendation of the people. Because we see, as Paul opens up this letter to the church at Colossae, he has much reason to be filled with hope for his fellow brethren. You will notice that he mentions their character in verse number two. For he says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Paul here refers to the believers as faithful brethren. Here he was saying that they stuck close, they defended their faith. They were close to those things that they believed in and whatever cost, they were faithful, they were steadfast 
in their lives. Now that gives us a, an insight into the spiritual health of the believers. You will know that Paul in his letters had to write under the inspiration of God many words of rebuke to churches. You might know in Philippians how he had to single out two believers that there was a disagreement in the church. He had to name these two believers that they would be of the same mind in Christ. Yet Paul here, it was not a word of rebuke. It was a word of commendation. He commends them for their faith, for they were faithful brethren. Yes, there was division at Philippi, but here in Colossae, we are presented with a group of believers that were close to the Lord. And you'll notice that when he writes faithful brethren, he is talking about the entire congregation. When he uses that word brethren, it is used in the plural. He's not talking about one or two believers. He's talking about the entire church congregation. They were all close to the Lord. And what a testimony that was of this people. Despite all of the false teaching, despite all of the sin that surrounded them, they remained faithful to Christ. They remembered what Christ had done for them. And therefore, they wanted to live their lives to serve him. There was unity in the things of God. There was no overcoming personalities here. There was no man, there was no woman seeking to gain all of the control. Instead, it was unified. Everyone was working together as we should in the work of God. You know, that original word that is translated faithful in verse 2 comes from the Greek word pistos. And pistos is a word which means strong. It means they were strong spiritually. They were well grounded in their faith. It's not talking about their physical strengths. It's making reference to their spiritual strengths. And therefore, because they were faithful, we could say these believers were trustworthy. We could rely upon them. You know, I wonder if God was to write a letter today to our church in 2022, even here in Cross Scar, perhaps. I wonder how he would address the church. I pray today that we would all seek to be faithful brethren in Christ, that as God would speak to us, that he would see a united church, a church that is getting along in the things of God, seeking that his name would be honoured and glorified. In verse 6, we read more about this character because we see those words in verse 6, bringeth forth fruit. There was a continuation in their lives. You see, after salvation, there was then service. It's often said you're not saved to sit, you're saved to serve. And now these people realize that. They realize that now God is mine, I have to do work for him. And these words bring forth fruit. They speak of progression. They went on, they matured in their lives. They desired that they would be obedient to God's word, that they would honor him with whatever he would have them to do. There's a hymn that with those words that says, Go through with God, thy vows to pay, thy life upon the altar lay. And I wonder as we read those words this morning, can we look back at our own lives personally and say, has there been progression? Am I serving the Lord as I should today? Has our walk been strengthened since that moment when Christ saved you? For we see their character. They were faithful brethren. They brought forth fruit. There's also their compassion as well that Paul commends. For he says in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. The love which ye have to all the saints. That is their compassion. 
And here Paul seeks to highlight this aspect of their ministry and of their personalities. It was their love one to another. You will know how Christ, when he was on this earth, exhorted us as believers to love one another in the Lord. And again, this idea shows that there was a close relationship with the believers here in this congregation. They realized that through salvation, we have been adopted into the family of God, and therefore we are all one body in Christ. We are a family of believers in the Lord. And they shared this relationship, that they were all united in Christ. And therefore it's because of God's love for us that we then must have a love for others as well. You will notice that it's a love to all the saints. This was a universal love that was shared. It was to each and every person. We are not brought to consider a matter of debate, a matter of strife. Instead, we read that they all shared this common ground in salvation. Now, I will make it clear when I say that, that we might not always get along with everyone, and they might not always have the same views on every single aspect that we might think. But that should not prohibit us as children of God to walk with them and to be close with them in the things of the Lord. We are to be close. We are to love them as our own. And we read in verse 8 of this testimony that Epaphras came to Paul and who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And so we read that word love in verse 4 and verse 8 again. Epaphras told Paul of this great love that they had. Epaphras, who was the minister of the congregation there, he noticed this as he was working alongside the congregation. And when we have a love for others, when we are close and we are a strong family in the Lord, other people will see it. And that was the case here. Epaphras saw that these believers were strong, they were going on. And so if we have a love for the Lord, a love for others, that can be used as a testimony to other people. Now, of course, we have to have a love as well, not just to those that are saved, those that are unsaved as well. But here this passage is focusing on that relationship between those who are saved. But of course, Christ himself displayed that. We are to have a love, a concern for the sinner. For that is the message of the gospel, that God loved sinners. That Christ came and died while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And of course, we can apply this to our own lives. Do we have a love for others that are saved? And yet I believe that this is a love that so often in our minds we can be caught up in maybe the denomination of the Free Presbyterian Church. But this is a love that exceeds past that. You might have other believer friends that maybe attend a different church. If they are strong in the Lord, if they are truly saved, then we're to have a love for them. We're not to show bias based on a church that we attend. For our love is not founded in a church. It's founded in the Lord. And that is important to remember as well. No matter our background, our nationality, no matter what sort of uh, social class we come from, that we are to have a love for others. There was compassion, there was their character, but there was the, their concern as well. And we see the concern of the Apostle Paul because he says in verse 3 that he is praying always for them, praying always for you. And in verse 9 we read these words, do not cease to pray for you. Paul had a concern for these believers. And we see here the true pastoral heart of the Apostle Paul. As I said in the introduction, it's, it's widely accepted that the Apostle Paul at this stage had never visited the believers in Colossae. 
And yet here, despite the fact that he had never met them in person, he had a love, he had a concern, and he prayed for them. You know, you will notice that in this reading, that there's words that relate to conflict. And we read that in Colossians 2 and verse number 1, where it says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, there's Paul again in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, saying, have not seen my face in the flesh again, showing how I'd never met them in person. But he uses that word in Colossians 2, verse 1, conflict. And if you have a margin in your Bible, you will see that that word can translate to meaning struggle or agony. And here, what Paul is saying is that the great love that Paul had for the church, it went so far that he was willing to suffer for the love that he had for the church. You will know that Paul was in prison many times. He suffered greatly as he went on his missionary journeys, and it was all for the love, the desire that he had that the church of Christ would go forth. People he had never seen in the flesh, yet he had an unwavering love for them. And does that not challenge our hearts today? Maybe as we hear of believers, we think of Ukraine today, we think of the situation of the persecuted church, and do we realize what privileges we have today to be able to meet in God's house with the freedom, the liberty that we have, the word of God in our own language, and yet there are people today willing to lay down and risk their lives just to meet, just to open the word of God and to praise the Lord. I would pray that we would have a love for them as well, that we would even pray for them and remember them as they would seek to live for the Lord. This is Paul's commendation of the people. But then we read of, secondly, Paul's exhortation to the people. Because as we look at this passage more this morning, we notice that the Apostle Paul, he attaches an exhortation to this letter. From the very outset, he makes it clear that he is calling them to do something. His words of greeting came with words of advice. And they were directly to the believers. And it was based on how they should be living their lives for the Lord. Now we see the faithful teaching here of Paul. And all of these commands that Paul gives, it was given with a heart of love. It was given so that he would see them going forth in their faith. Because he had a love and concern for them, he wanted them to be going on with God. And of course, that's what we want for our fellow believers, that they would continue on in the things of the Lord. Paul writes to them about their belief in verse number 9. For he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. But what did they pray for? What did they desire? Because it says, And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In these words, we are pointed to the greatest need in our lives as those of us who are Christians. The greatest need for us as we live for the Lord is firstly to know the will of God for our lives. In order for us to live right, we need to know, first of all, how are we to live right? If we don't know how to do it, then we cannot put that into practice. I use the analogy here of a student. If a student going into secondary school goes and is given a new subject, given history, and given a homework task to complete, and they haven't been taught anything about that lesson, then they're not going to be able to do that homework very well. In order to do that work, they must be instructed 
First of all, it's the same with us. When we are saved, we must be instructed. And the Word of God is our guidebook. We are to read it, but then we are to apply it to our lives and be doers of the Word. You read that word filled in verse number 9, because he says, Desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge. And that word filled means to be completely full. It means that you're so full that there's no space, there's no room for anything else to come in. There's no empty space. And it was Paul's desire that they would be completely taken up by the things of God. You know, many today, as we look around the world, man's taken up with the pursuit of knowledge, perhaps, maybe with science, technology, and many earthly pursuits in order to try and gain more intellectual value. Yet we see here as believers, where should our priority lie? It should first of all lie in the spiritual. We are to be filled with the things of God, for it is those things that are eternal that will last. The scriptures themselves, they emphasize that time and time again, those temporal things that we have, one day they will fade away and become nothing. Therefore, our focus is to be on those things that would glorify and honor the Lord. And once our minds are looking to God and we focus on him, then that will give us the right mindset that we are to have in order to live for the Lord. It's to be a belief that is centered on God. When we look at the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, it's looking to God's will. It's not looking to the will of man. It's leaning on the Lord. And then when we do that, we will be given wisdom. We will be given this spiritual understanding. You'll know very well about King Solomon, the son of David, the Lord coming on to him. He said, one thing, what do you desire? I will give it on to you. Solomon could have said many things. Well, I desire great riches. I desire a great reputation that all would bow down before me. But what did Solomon request? He requested wisdom from the Lord. He wanted to be filled with the knowledge of God as king of Israel. He desired that what he did was not according to what he thought was right, but what the word of God told him. God will help us to understand his ways with the help of the Spirit that is applied to us. As we read, as we study his word, the Spirit will help us in order to understand more of the Lord. There was to be application to the hearts. That is the idea of being filled with the knowledge. Paul didn't desire that they just were aware of the laws and the word of God, but that it was applied to their hearts. And is that not our desire, that we would not only read the word, but then we would apply it to how it applies to our life, that we would go and serve the Lord, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, that we would go have this spiritual understanding that others may see in us Christ. He writes about the people's belief, but he writes about the people's behavior in verse 10. And this really is the verse that caught my eye when I was studying these words. Challenging words, because Paul says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Following on from verse number nine, in verse number 10, we see this command that is given. There was to be obedience to the word of God. There was to be a living out of the word of God. That idea of walking worthy it doesn't merely uh, make reference to the places that we would physically go to on earth, but that sense of the Christian walk, walking worthy, 
That refers to every single aspect of our lives, not just our behavior, but our behavior, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. Every single thing is encapsulated in that word, walk. Everything that we do must be done for the Lord unto all pleasing. And does that not challenge us? Because I often, despite being saved, do we feel the Lord? How often do we not walk worthy of the Lord? And perhaps we sin. Perhaps we get far from God. Perhaps we leave off his word, leave off the public place of worship. And as soon as that happens, you can be sure that your walk with God will grow cold. It will not be as the Lord desires it to be. If you are to have a good relationship with someone, you will be in communication with them. You will message them, you will talk to them, you will meet up with them. You won't just stay away from them. You will have that time and company with them. So it is with the Lord. If we are to have that right relationship, we are to spend time with him. We are to read his word, pray on to him. More and more each day, be close to the Lord. And that is a challenge to our hearts this morning. Notice why we are to obey this command. We are to obey. Why are we to walk worthy? Well, first of all, this verse tells us we're to walk worthy of the Lord because it honors him. It pleases God. And that is the first reason that we're given. Because we read, unto all pleasing. It's not pleasing another man. We walk worthy of the Lord to please him. We must always desire to please God with our lives. You will know that the Lord is omniscient. He knows all about us. He sees everything and he knows all about us. Even the hairs are numbered upon our head. And as we live our lives, we are to be conscious that God is watching us. We're not just living before men, we're living before the Lord. And we are to please him. For if we walk worthy, then he is pleased with us. Secondly, this living is also beneficial for us. It doesn't just honour God, but it benefits us when we obey this command because it says being fruitful in every good work. When we live and obey the word of God, there are benefits, there are blessings that we can receive as Christians for our dedication, for our obedience. You will know the psalm number one. The psalm number one, we'll maybe just turn to it. The first psalm, um, it's a psalm of contrast for Psalmist David. gives us a picture of two men. One man that is walking worthy of the Lord, we could say, and another man who is not walking worthy of the Lord. The first three verses talk about this man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And this is talking about the man that is saved, the Christian, the one who is living for the Lord. It says in verse 2 that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And the first word we read of that psalm is blessed. Blessed or happy is that man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We can have a joy. We can be blessed when we live for the Lord. We are separated from the world in salvation. We have a joy that the world does not have. The world cannot take it away. The joy of salvation, of sins forgiven. But we read this phrase at the end of verse number three in Psalm number one, because it says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. When we live for the Lord, when we obey his word, we apply it to our hearts, whatsoever we do shall prosper. As we said many today, they want success 
They want the world to come and praise them for their great inventions, their great deeds that they do. That is what man wants. And yet the word of God makes it clear, if you want success in life, will you follow the Lord? You don't walk according to the things of this world, but you live separate. You delight in the word of God. Is our delight in the word of God? Do we meditate in it day and night, as it says in verse 2? How is our walk today? Again, we'll turn back to Philippians, Colossians chapter 1, sorry. Colossians chapter 1. This idea of walking worthy, as we said, it, it covers every aspect because it says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom. That's verse 9. But then in verse 10, fruitful in every good work. Every good work. Everything that you do. Therefore, such a question is raised when we read this. Are we living our lives in that way? Are we fruitful in every good work? Are we increasing in the knowledge of God? And I pray that the Lord would challenge us about that, that we may examine our hearts this morning. He writes about their behavior and their belief, but he writes about their boldness as well. In verse 11, he continues this idea by saying, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering, with joyfulness. Such a living for the Lord doesn't just require obedience to his word, but it requires boldness to stand for the Lord. It's not an easy thing to stand for God. Yet the Apostle Paul, in writing this, he was perhaps the greatest example to the New Testament church. For we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that Paul pens the words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In Paul's life, you will know how he lived that life of sin. He persecuted the church greatly. He was going to Damascus to go and kill those believers, to imprison them for preaching Christ. And yet on that road to Damascus, Christ came into his life, stepped in, saved him. He was a new creature. And then he went from being that persecutor to being that great preacher and that church planter. And what a testimony the Apostle Paul shows us that God can make that change in lives today as well. But he was not ashamed of this gospel. Once he hated it, but now he defended it. There was confidence, there was courage in Paul's life. He wanted to tell others about the Lord. And such a boldness can only be given from the Spirit of God. We can't rely upon our own strength today in order to stand for God. We need the Lord's help to do it. You will notice in verse 11 that it says, Strengthen of all might according to his glorious power. That shows us that it's not in our own strength. It's in his glorious power. He alone is able to equip us and infill us to live our lives for him. These characteristics are then mentioned. We read of patience, long-suffering, joyfulness. Long-suffering Speaking about that idea of enduring on, remaining faithful as we take our stand. That same idea with patience. It means going on in our walk, despite the difficulties that may come. Do not be discouraged. Keep standing for God and joyfulness as well. That's the great, great joy that we have in the Lord. And that is perhaps one of the best blessings for my heart, I could say, over maybe the past years of the pandemic, it seemed that man was really in despair about everything that was happening. 
And yet in the Lord we have a joyfulness. We know that everything is taking place according to his will. He is working everything together for good. And therefore we can have a joy today in the Lord. And it's a joy that then enthuses us to go and serve, to go and work for God while it is day. For the night cometh when no man can work. So there's Paul's commendation of the people, his exhortation. Finally, this morning, his demonstration for the people. In the closing part of the passage from verses 12 to 14, here Paul lays a demonstration of how these Colossian believers can fulfill this command. We have already seen how God has commended their faith in these words for the lives that they had lived. We also noticed that this charge they were given to walk worthy of the Lord. However, we see that they are given this example they are to follow in order to do this, to put it into action. And of course, it goes on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12 really marks a shift in the address. From verses 1 to 11, Paul is specifically writing to the believers But in verse 12, then he says, giving thanks unto the Father. His attention changes to the things of God and he focuses on him. And of course, he is the one that all of our worship, all of our preaching must center around. It centers on Christ. The work of salvation is needful. But when we are saved, the work of sanctification is also needful for the believers. That idea of forsaking sin, living more and more for God. For we read words in First Peter chapter two, for it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Christ left us an example. That word example can mean pattern. And in that we have the idea of maybe imitation. You will know maybe of printmaking. If you've ever seen a printing press, maybe an etching plate, you ink that plate, you put the paper down, you roll the, the printing etching plate through the print, and then a copy is made on the paper. That idea of imitation. And so it is, that word gives us that idea. We are to imitate, we are to follow Christ's example. And so our lives have to be some pale reflection of the Lord's, and that is, should be our desire, that we'd be, we would be more like Christ. We see here God's sufficiency in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. This idea talks about our justification, that God has made us meet, that he has made us receivers of his grace. It's also rounding about what he has done for us. You will notice that as you read that. It's not about what we have done. It's about everything that Christ has done which hath made us It's what he has done, all because of his mercy and his grace. God had a love for us, and therefore he is sufficient in order to provide us with that way to be reconciled unto God. And that is the greatest need today. Maybe you're in this meeting. Maybe as I speak about this idea of walking worthy of the Lord, maybe you don't know the Lord as your own saviour. Maybe you don't have that personal relationship with him. Maybe once you did, Maybe now your life is cold and yet God is able to make you meet to be partakers of the inheritance. He is able to save you if you're willing to come on to him. And that is what the Lord desires, that you would realize that there is nothing that I can do, yet Christ can save me if I would accept that I have sinned, I have fallen short and receive his grace alone in order to save you. It's all about God's goodness 
in our life. That verse is written also in the continuous tense, who have made us meet to be partakers. The way it's written is that it is constant, it's continual. It's something that God does constantly every single day. And God is able, at every situation, every moment in life, is able to meet the need of the sinner to save them. There's sufficiency, but then there's our standing in Christ in verse 13, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We're reminded that our standing today, it's in the Lord. We see deliverance taking place there, being translated out of that darkness, being brought into the kingdom of his son. The idea of being freed from our sin and now being brought into that relationship with God. There is a standing in Christ. And then finally this morning, there is salvation in verse 14. Tremendous words. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You'll notice here in these words that the Trinity is made reference to in order for salvation to come. Salvation is achieved by every member of the Trinity. For God, the Father planned it. He then sent the Son. God the Son then procured it. He obtained salvation by going to the cross. And then salvation is then applied to the heart through God the Holy Spirit. And so they all work as one in order to save your soul. Our final point really comes to the fundamentals of our faith. It's our forgiveness it's our pardon, and it centers on Christ because it's redemption through his blood. That's the only way today that we can be made right with him. Everything that we have read, we've considered this morning about being close to the Lord, walking worthy of him, it would be of no use if we are not saved and we don't know this redemption. First of all, we must be saved in order to live for him. And therefore, Paul here reminds them of everything they have in Christ. And as we gather here today, let's remember what Christ has done for us. Let's remember that he laid down his life for us. And then when we get that into our minds, when we have that fresh sight of Calvary, I pray that that would spare us on then to love him more because of his great love for us. I leave you with words from Revelation chapter 3. Because Revelation chapter 3 really adds a twist to the narrative. Because as we said here The believers, they were commended for their faith, for how they were living for God. But Revelation chapter 3, written some years later, it gives us an insight to how this church was doing at that point. And we read of Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And these are words to the Laodiceans, who was also a congregation close to Colossae. And here's what we read. For it says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The church of Colossae here in Revelation 3, which is made reference to through the Laodiceans in Revelation 3, they were not walking as well as they once did, described as being lukewarm. Once they walked well, but now they weren't. We are to watch our lives. It's so easy for us so easy for us to get away from God. And yet I pray that even through what we've considered this morning, that we would realize that it's only through him that we're able to take this stand and that we would even be ready 
to stand for God, to serve him more, to love him more, realize that it's all through his help that he will help us to stand. I pray that God would write these words upon our hearts this morning. Let's just bow in a word of prayer, please. Our dear Lord, our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank thee for this time spent around thy word. Lord, we thank thee for the instruction that has been given from thy word today. Lord, we thank thee that there is redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Lord, if there's someone in here out of Christ, Lord, see if they're so today. Make them a new creature in Christ. Lord, for those of us who are saved, may we know what it is to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Lord, that we may be filled with thy glorious power, and that whatsoever we shall do shall prosper. Not for the furtherance of the name of a church, for our own reputation, but for the furtherance of thy kingdom, and for thy honour and glory alone. So just continue with us as we even close this meeting now, we pray in thy name. Amen. We're going to sing a closing hymn at this stage. Hymn number 200, no, hymn number 411, sorry. Hymn number 411. I want, dear Lord, a heart that's true and clean, a sunlit heart, a heart with not a cloud between. I pray as we would even sing these words that this would be our prayer, that we would know that heart that is true and clean and that love that feels for all and a soul that is on fire for God. 411 will stand as we sing. Dear God and our Father, we just pray that even as we would leave this place now, that you would go before us. Lord, we thank thee for a real sense of thy presence with us. We pray that even as we would go home to our homes in safety, that you would continue on with us, Lord, that we may even stay in thy word and consider 
thy word to our hearts today. Bring us back even this evening in the will of God to the gospel service. Draw us in, draw new people in. Most of all, come and save souls today. Work in these days, for we ask it all for thine honor and thy glory alone. Amen. Amen.